Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. And joining us this week is a special guest, Bill Mann. Hi guys, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's a big honor. Well, we're glad that you're here. I'm not sure how, you know, much of an honor it really is just to talk to us, but thank you for the kind words anyway. We'll, we'll find out for sure one way or the other by the end. <laughs> yes. Looking forward to it. So this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 25, Resolutions. My brain just fried. I can't think of a bad joke. You had resolved to make a joke, and it didn't even happen. The joke never became clear. <laughs> it originally aired on the 13th of May, 1996, and was written by... It was written by Jerry Taylor, and was directed by Alexander Singer. I believe we've talked about Alexander Singer before, uh, because he also directed Tattoo and Threshold this season. Then we almost certainly have. Our synopsis from TV Guide, when Jakote and Janeway contract a deadly virus, she turns command over to Tuvok, ordering him to abandon them on a planet that will shield them from the disease's effects. Memory Alpha says, Voyager is forced to abandon Captain Janeway and Chakotay when they are infected with a terminal illness. Tuvok leads Voyager on a mission to find a cure. No, he doesn't. No, he really doesn't. <laughs> I mean... it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Like, even eventually when he changes his mind, it's less of a mission to find a cure than a mission to contact the people that probably have a cure. Yes. Or could help them make a cure. And, like, if the if the Vidian thing hadn't worked out, would Tuvok have kept trying? No. Yeah, I, yeah, I really don't know. I never got the impression that he was particularly interested in pursuing that, uh, I think. Well, logically, it was a very long shot, so it didn't right. make sense to do so. Yeah, the doctor had spent an entire month to no avail. They had exhausted their options. So, right. yeah, interestingly, th that uh, because of the doctor spending a month, and then the fact that Voyager traveled six weeks and then traveled another six weeks to go back. This episode t covers is one of the more lengthy episodes as far as time time that it covers of Voyager. Obviously, there are a couple exceptions that are longer, like Year of Hell, uh, mm -hmm. but <laughs> this one is still much longer than we would normally see. Indeed. Can I ask a question, just sure. of you guys? How do you think this episode uh, sells that period of time? Like, when you're watching it, does it feel like it's taking place over a wide berth of time like that? Yes and no. Um, I don't like that basically the entire, you know, period between when they get the cure and when they come back is glossed over. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there wouldn't have been much to see on Voyager at that point because they're just business as usual. But I felt as though we should have maybe seen more stuff happening on the planet with Janeway and Jakote in between that. Just because if... Yeah, sorry. Maybe by the time they get the call that it's the tomato plants are full grown. Yes. Or yeah. at least more grown. Yeah, that would be a good one. Because, yeah, obviously it would have taken just as long for them to go back as it did for them to... Yeah. I, I feel like the time... It does a, a decent amount, because we can clearly see time has passed on the planet. Uh, but, yeah, I think it could have worked a little better. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think it does a pretty good job of selling the passage of time on the planet with Janeway and Chakotay. I think there are subtle things that sell that lengthy um, stay together on, on that planet. Uh, but I think... Maybe some of the stuff on Voyager feels a little bit more compact. So, as per usual, I have a uniform complaint this episode. Hmm. <laughs> well, I was going to... In, in terms of the time not seeming to pass on board the ship, mm -hmm. that's just business as usual. We never get any indication on any of the shows outside of someone saying the star date from time to time of time having passed. And that even gets that's called fair. out in the beginning of uh, Star Trek Beyond with uh, yeah. Kirk's personal log, just talking about Things all the time in space. Episodic. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I love that line. Uh, but something that would have at least done a little bit would be if it's been six weeks, Tuvok should not still be wearing a gold uniform. <laughs> I figured somebody was going to bring that up, and I, I, I agree. Uh, I think logic would say that he's the captain now, and protocol would indicate that he should wear a command uniform with four pips, right? Well, um, the four pips isn't necessary. Because uh, we've got the naval tradition of whoever's in command is called the captain, whether they're the rank way. or not. 
Uh, yep. I mean, we even see that in Star Trek in DS9 when Dax was commanding the Defiant for a while. Yeah. But he's no longer acting captain. He's the yeah. captain now. Yeah. Look at him. He's the captain now. Nice. And Thank you. And yes, he should have changed his uniform. He should have picked an XO. Yes. And if he didn't feel completely comfortable about giving himself a like four-jump field promotion to captain, I don't know, like grab a marker and scribble into extra pips or something. Or like put like two black pips there or something. I don't know. At very least, he should have made himself a commander so that he outranks everyone else on the ship. Or a lieutenant commander, uh, anyway. Because there are other full lieutenants, but I don't know that there are... I think Chakotay was the only lieutenant commander we see. I think that's true, yeah. But see, I the way I always sort of read that, um, not the choice not to change the uniform is, while on paper, yes, absolutely, he should be wearing a red uniform and he should act as the captain, because you're right, he's not the acting captain anymore. But I always read it as, this is Tuvok kind of telegraphing intentionally or not, probably not, that he isn't processing the change and leaving Janeway behind. Janeway specifically because of his friendship with Janeway, like long-standing relationship. Uh, that's kind of the the tell that, you know, his suppressed feelings are that, you know, this doesn't feel right uh, and that he wouldn't have made that jump because he hadn't arrived at that right feeling yet, which... Sort of works for me, I guess. You know what would have been would have been a cool scene, I think? Would be, okay, Tuvok does that, most likely unintentionally, but the crew needs to see him as the captain. So, yeah, like, they do. have a, a very brief scene where Neelix tells him that for the good of the crew's morale, he should be wearing red. Mm-hmm. But see, don't you think that Tuvok's obviously aware of the crew's ambivalence to the change the, the the crew is struggling with this notion that they've left these two giants on the ship behind uh would the crew have reacted even more sort of violently to the change if tuvok slips on the red uniform and puts the extra pip on his shirt and like slides into the captain's chair and his business as usual we're going to keep going like does tuvok make the decision not to do that to sort of ease the blow to the crew i don't know uh, because that may feel more permanent and more real at a time when maybe the crew's not ready for that. I don't know. Just throwing things against the wall, I guess. I would see that, but at the same time... I And I, I agree with you. That's why they did that. To, sure. But personally, I think Tuvok, especially as Tuvok, would have moved on. Switched. Would have moved on and switched. Done the logical thing. Whether or not he misses Janeway, he would have done the logical thing and he would have become the captain. I, but I don't think he would have done the four pips. That, I feel, would have been excessive. Bridge too far, yeah. But anyway, we now that we've talked about like the middle and the end of the episode, let's talk about the beginning. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, It's, very, it's a very good place to start. <laughs> and we start on a rather prosaic planet. It is. Yeah, nice little glade there, and birds are chirping and stuff. Like it's, you know, it's very pretty. And then we pan over to a couple of... Starfleet issue stasis pods, which I couldn't help but notice, can be opened from the inside without the help of another person to latch the lid on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd like to think that maybe they couldn't before, but after they saw the ridiculousness uh, in the thaw, they're like, oh, we need to have interior latches for our stasis pods. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Would have come in handy in the thaw. Yes. So they've been in stasis for, what do you say, 17 days? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds right, yeah. Janeway's talking with the doctor who still has not found a cure. Chakotay is asking, well, how about you just put us back in stasis on the ship and keep working on it? And the doctor says, no, that won't work because the disease could come back and be worse and the planet blocks it, but they're in stasis? Yeah, I'm not sure how that works. So, eh? Okay, my thought on this... Tech the tech. The only explanation that I have for this is... The Doctor is afraid that if he puts them on the ship in stasis, he'll never find a cure and never be able to take them out of stasis. Mm. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. Uh, as fair as any possible explanation other than they had the idea in their mind for this episode and this is how they got there. Uh, Whereas, alternatively, we leave them on the planet where, yeah, sure, Janeway's going to try to work on a cure, but even if they find it... Mm-hmm. 
we later find out they do have a Type 9 shuttle, but that only does warp 4, so they'll never catch up to Voyager, and they'll never get and they'll never get back home in their lifetime for like for sure. So, on that note, the Type 9 shuttle, uh, also known as the Class 2 shuttle, is the shuttle that was modified to go warp 10. So, why couldn't they have left that prototype and then they could go like warp 9.8 to get back to Voyager? It's another fair question that never occurred to me. But makes no or sense. they go warp 10, <laughs> get back to Voyager, they go through the anti-proton treatment to desalamanderize themselves. That's not a word, but it just it you know, it felt good. Yeah. You know, bada bing bada boom. All's well. In fact, did they ever, did they consider that maybe salamanderization would cure the disease? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it it's an improvement according to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. So anyway, I feel, <laughs> and I realize because they have so much to fit into this episode. That's why I keep saying it would be nice if they had this. That they didn't have the time, but. It feels weird that the episode opens with them coming out of stasis. Yeah, they totally could have made this a two-parter, like, easily. Oh, yeah. And it it, it it would have played really well. And this is another instance of, that's just how television was made 22 years ago. They didn't do a whole lot of two-parters in the middle of a season. I mean, Voyager will later, but yes. Yeah, but not a lot. My memory may be failing me uh, on the spot here, but I feel like that might be a pretty common convention in, in in voyager specifically and you guys as you're kind of watching it now may be able to speak more knowledgeably about this at least up to this point but i feel like voyager i, I remember various instances that they kind of drop you into the middle of the action like they they cut off the the expositional stuff that explains like how do we get into the situation i'm thinking yes. of down the road like the killing game like you don't you don't find out how the Herogen like came to take over the ship or anything like that it's they, they just start you right off at the point where that all stuff. That stuff's all happened, and now we're in the situation, and we're off and running. I feel like Voyager does that often, sometimes to good effect, and maybe sometimes not. I think they do. Yes, uh, I can think of off the top of my head. I can think of several in the last couple seasons that start that way. But this one in particular, it, it just feels strange to me that it starts that way instead of having them be sick and then they find out that they need to stay on the planet. It's a story that certainly that that story is probably as interesting as maybe the story we're getting, you know, like how, how the crew reacts to the, the, the specter of the captain and the first officer being sick and talking about this idea and coming to terms with, we may have to do this and, you know, going through that decision-making process and those kinds of conversations that would happen in sick bay. And, uh, that, that, that's a, that's an interesting idea. And what we got in this episode, I think leaves, there's a lot to chew on that I personally really like, but I think that story, you know, if told in a more serialized fashion or as a two-parter, I think would offer a lot of op- opportunities. Yeah, I think it could have worked as a two-parter. I'd be interested in the story of what were they doing on the planet in the first place? Why were both Janeway and Chakotay on the planet? Why were the why were they the only two people bit by this burrowing beetle that is what is actually the carrier of the of the virus? Like what led up to these two people in particular getting infected? I think a two-parter would have definitely worked. It could have ended with Voyager leaving. Yeah. Yeah, the first half being Coming to that decision and doing it, and then the second half would be, you know, working your way out of it and finding the solution. That sounds like a good episode to me. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like an excellent season ender. Yes. Mm, and it almost was. Although, mainly the season two ender is also, you know, pretty great with a, with a good cliffhanger, too. So, it's not like we... Yes. I don't know. I always thought the season two ender was a little basic. <laughs> that it is. It is indeed basic. So, anyway, so we're back on Voyager. After after Janeway has turned over command to Tuvok officially, because presumably he's been acting captain while they were in stasis, we're in the we're in the briefing room. No one's happy about this decision, and they're all mad that Tuvok isn't emotional. Right? Echoes of the Galway of Seven from TOS. Yes, very the, much the way so. the crew reacts to the unemotional person in command who just isn't responding to the stress in the same way. Uh, it's definitely the, the Galileo Seven. Definitely, as somebody who's in the middle of rewatching TOS now, uh, the Galileo Seven definitely weighed heavily uh, in revisiting this episode at this point. It reminds me of another Kelvinverse movie where Bones and Spock are talking, and he's saying, 
you know, come on, man, can't you at least like pretend to be torn up about the decision? And it's like, well, if you know, if you think yeah. it would serve the crew's morale to have me wander the halls weeping, I defer to your medical expertise. <laughs> <laughs> that dialogue could have been ripped right out of this episode. Yeah. yeah, so this is this is when we find out that they're going to have like shelter and a replicator and, and research equipment and inclu- and a Type Nine shuttle. So, how are they fueling the replicator? It's a good question. Wishes, wishes, <laughs> solar panels. I don't know, man. Well, because Voyager has limited replicator energy, that's why they have the replicator rations. So, right, yeah, I'm just wondering. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question uh, that Voyager kind of runs into questions like that all the time like uh, the the limited resources problem is a uh, is an issue that they skirt a little a little too often maybe yeah and we just blow up some antimatter this episode too like you you count this one you count deadlock i'm surprised they have any left at this point yeah yeah it's true <laughs> so we get another conversation between janeway and tuvok after they've beamed all the supplies down to the planet Tuvok is saying that we'll stay in orbit until you've completed your checklist and everything you need is there, and then we'll get out of town, and in 36 hours we'll be, we'll be out of comms range. Doesn't the shuttle have long-range comms? You'd think, wouldn't you? It should, yeah. Definitely should. Shuttles and starsh- starships have uh, seemingly had contact through, you know, over much greater distances. and Maybe not when the shuttle's on the planet. Maybe the shuttle would have to be in orbit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame they don't have any way to remote control the shuttle to park the shuttle in orbit to act as sort of a satellite slash long-range comms relay. And then they could, for example, have been notified that they had gotten the cure and at least met Voyager halfway on the return trip. Yeah, and no, not to start those tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> those vine-ripened Talaxian tomatoes. I'm sure that Neelix is real tore about the fact that all these you know, fresh, organic, planet-grown produce has gone to waste. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> no doubt. So they start building the shelter, and Chakotay asks, uh, does it matter which side goes which way? And they both agree that it doesn't, but I think it does matter which side the reflective, which side is reflective and which side isn't, doesn't it? I think it should. Yeah. And given the way that the panels are formed, where one side is clearly concave and the other side is flat, it sure seems like it only goes together one way. Yeah. It definitely has that appearance when he's holding it. Like, it looks like it's definitely meant to go a certain way. Yes. That question, every time I watch it, definitely raises an eyebrow. Like, what's he talking about? What, what is he asking? Are they really going to do it the other way? There's apparently no Ikea in the 24th century, and so <laughs> people from you know people that live in the Federation have no need to try to puzzle out how the stuff goes together before they read the inscrutable instructions. You know, I hadn't even thought of that. They just, like, replicate everything they need. They don't build stuff. Yeah, although it would have been perfect if, like, inside the storage container where he's pulling all these panels out, he also extracted a single small hex key to put them all together. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, uh, we're back on Voyager again. Mm -hmm. Harry is... uh, Balana is down engineering giving one of her people a hard time because the report is bad. A classic Star Trek. Uh, it probably is a bad report. I, I, I'm not saying that Bolana's a liar or anything, but I think Bolana is also having a hard time with things, which is why she's tearing into the incident a little yes. bit more than she should. It's a classic Star Trek tell for a character who's having a hard time grappling with something. Uh, I can remember Worf doing the same thing. At a certain point, some security officer comes onto the bridge and hands him a pad, and he looks at it for five seconds and... Says this is totally unacceptable and gives it back to the person and says you got an hour to fix it. Very similar kind of scene. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Back when Paris was pretending to be a just just a like, raging jerkwad, he uh, punched a guy about bad reports. He did. So it's true. I mean, in this case, it was Paris. <laughs> is, like, you know, it, it was Paris who had <laughs> written the bad Paris report. Bad but report. yeah. Yes, but <laughs> they take reports seriously in Starfleet. I mean, that's why they have to hand deliver them all. Yeah, oh, goodness. And they can always tell at a very fast glance that the report's bad. So then Harry comes in and talks to Bolana. Did you notice? Uh, he's been talking. Oh, did you notice? Sorry to cut you off, but did you notice that Harry said Bolana the way Bolana says Chakotay? I did notice that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Belana or 
something to that yeah, effect. It, it yeah, was, it was odd. But anyway, continue. Sorry. He says he's been talking to the Starfleet crew and they're not happy. And he's wondering how the Maquis are taking it. And Bolana makes the very good point of, this is not a Starfleet versus Maquis thing. And it's been a year and a half. There shouldn't be any Starfleet or Maquis things anymore. There should just be Voyager things. Which is something that this episode, I think, is trying to hammer home. That, you know, they become a family. They're on the same page now. But, yeah, they... they sometimes Voyager's inconsistent, obviously, with the way they use the Maquis-Starfleet dynamic. You know, sometimes it's kind of right there in your face, and they're actually confronting it. And sometimes it's become not so much a problem. Yeah, it's like in my head that it was pretty much never mentioned anymore at this point but apparently i had just forgotten that scene yeah there are little things like that i'm sure you'll it it definitely becomes less uh prevalent as the show goes on but i think there are here and there little things like that little scenes i mean worst case scenario notwithstanding obviously true yeah there's a little bit in like hunters when they get word from the alpha quadrant oh yeah that's right like there are little things that kind of telegraph the the difference of the crews, um, but it's it's mostly stuff like this. It's little scenes, little pieces of dialogue, uh, but it's not incredibly prevalent. They don't do full episodes on it, like Parallax, very early on, or anything like that. Right. Well, then we cut back to the planet. Janeway is checking her traps for insects. Yeah, it's day two, and they're already out of uniform and in the civvies. I would have expected them to stick in the uniform a little while longer. I would expect Chakotay to be in civvies and Janeway still be in the uniform. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Uh, Interestingly, the outfit that Janeway wears on the planet is later reused on Enterprise. Really? Do you know what it was? No. Memory Alpha didn't tell me that much. (laughs) Now I want to go back and watch it and try to pick it out. Again. They both very much look like pioneers, though. Yes, they do. You know, honestly... These are pretty good 24th century civilian outfits. Uh, we've, we've seen much worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think this is some of the best. I think this is, like, <laughs> credible. Like, you can imagine on some level somebody might want to wear some of these pieces of clothes. Like, it's not completely ridiculous. This is when Tuvok calls in to say that you're, we're about to leave comm range, so if you have any last words, now's the time. Huge dramatic speech. Yeah, it, uh, we needed the, the crew needed to hear one last thing from Janeway, and mm-hmm. for sure, and that worked out well. And then Tuvok ends with "Live long and prosper." Compliments Chakotay. Chakotay is very quiet in that scene. He doesn't he doesn't get to address the crew, and all you really get about him is Tuvok says it's been an honor to serve with you, and says you know your your what's he say something along the lines of like your dignity and your your um, uh, he, he pays him a compliment and says it's been an honor, uh, but it's it's very he's sort of in the background. He says they will always remember your grace and courage. That's it, yep. And then we cut to Janeway enjoying a bath in the tub that Chicote built for her. That is quite the impressive looking bathtub, too. Yeah. Like did it he is. hollow that out of wood? That's <laughs> that's some impressive craftsmanship for sure. Yeah. It, it looks comfortable. It's big. It's, yeah. It has very thick sides. Yeah. It's yeah. quite quite the work there. It sort of looks like it's made out of planks, but I feel like the more likely thing, since he doesn't have a mill, would be, yes, that he would have had to fell a whole tree, or find one that was conveniently already felled, but not rotted or anything. Yeah, do it like a dugout canoe. Yeah, basically. But, yes, so, yeah, she's in her bath, and she's interrupted by some kind of primate. Yes! yes. I noted that as well. Chikote <laughs> <laughs> comes out with his beacon and his phaser and we find out the that it is yes some kind of primate janeway apologizes for moving into his neighborhood and then <laughs> she gets the idea that maybe that primate is the key because surely if there are primates on this planet and there are virus bugs on the planet then at some point the primates got bit by the bug but if the planet suppresses yeah i don't know what she like what all she's gonna learn other than yep they've definitely been bit by bugs before <laughs> Right, because if the planet suppresses the symptoms of the disease, then there's no reason for the primate to have evolved any sort of resistance to a disease that doesn't affect them. Yeah, from the primate's point of view, it could be no worse than the common cold. Like, it, it, it might, or, or like a mild flu or something, it's... Or, or even less, it could be like toxoplasmosis, which is like completely asymptomatic in cats. Mm. Mm. But even with, like, limited symptoms or limited impact, I don't know, would Janeway be able to discern something that could lead to, credibly, some sort of solution just by 
having access to something. I don't know. Well, I mean, as Tuvok said, Janeway is an accomplished scientist in her own right, so... She is. Speak And speaking of Tuvok, we're back on Voyager, where he's giving his acting captain's log. Which shouldn't be an acting captain's log. But and yes. we find out it has been six weeks since they left Janeway and Chakotay on the planet. Tuvok heads out onto the bridge. They're just sort of cruising along, and Harry alerts us that there is a Vidian convoy 1.5 light years away. But they're within hailing range, so let's talk to them. And But Tuvok doesn't want to talk to them, doesn't want to have the danger. And that's fair. Every time we meet the Vidians, other than the one time we rescued a solitary Vidian from a shuttle, they haven't been the friendliest people. Well, no. Your original statement was still correct. Anytime we've met the Vidians, plural... Uh, it has point. gone like it has gone poorly. Yes. yes, they're an obvious and definite threat in every encounter they've had. Like, there's no reason to trust them. <laughs> there's no reason to assume that any kind of encounter with them is going to go the way you want it to go. And Harry should definitely know this because his Voyager was just destroyed by them a few weeks ago, right? Well, it was more than a few weeks now, a couple of months now. But oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> oh. Having your ship destroyed is not something you forget. <laughs> right. I'm sure Harry's died three times off screen since then. That's fair. Yeah. And he had to deal with a fear clown, but it, it, Harry just like will not let the issue go. He's like, no, no, no let's let, like, yeah, sure. She said, don't go to the Badians, but they're there. It's not like he went to them and he, he tries to get the crew to back him up. Basically, he's trying to incite a mutiny against the captain of the ship. I was going to say, yeah, that's basically mutiny at that point. And that's, if I have like a legitimate beef with this episode, it, I think they overcook the Harry Kim element a, a bit much. They had to give us this week's reason why he's still an ensign, though. <laughs> yeah, true enough. For, for attempting to incite a mutiny, no matter how right you ended up being, you're still an ensign. We- do get to see Tuvok in blue pajamas. Yes. Very comfortable looking blue pajamas. Are they, though? With those I giant shoulder pads? Uh, that's true. Everything from the shoulders down looks comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we see Tuvok, though, we're in the mess. People are coming up to Harry to say, I heard what happened on the bridge and we're behind you. And then Harry goes to talk to Balana and says, hey, remember three weeks ago when you said if I have a, an idea to give it to you, how long has it been? Is it six weeks or three weeks? Because the conversation point. with Bellana took place before they left the planet. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it takes them a while to actually like do stuff, so maybe it's another three weeks until... Could be. Or it could be that in that six-week span of time, Voyager encountered some sort of temporal anomaly, which is not, you know... Irregular for Voyager. Is yeah. the six weeks actually called out somewhere? I'm just getting going off what Memory Alpha said. Tuvox acting captain's okay. log. It has been six weeks. Okay. He does. And Tuvox gonna get it right. Okay, so maybe they moved that scene and it was that scene didn't originally take place before they left. That sounds like exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that seems more likely. So anyway. Now we're in Tuvox quarters. Tuvox is wearing blue pajamas. With shoulder pads. Comfortable ones. Which, you know, blue blue pajamas are, you know, a requirement in Star Trek, basically. And Kim gives his idea to Tuvok. Tuvok is not swayed. No. So did you notice that before Harry launched into his idea and his proposal, he started off by saying, a lot of people helped come up with this plan. He has co-conspirators. We come back to Kim is inciting mutiny. Yes. And then he starts yelling at the captain at 1 a.m. in the captain's quarters in his pajamas. Yeah, that, he he realizes that he shouldn't have done that, though. But still, yes. And you especially don't yell at the Vulcan. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. Just ask Leonard McCoy. <laughs> yeah, not the right approach. And Tuvok quite rightly says, if you do that again, then I'll remove you, of, I'll relieve you of duty. Yes. Absolutely the correct response to that scene. Oh, yeah. Yes. Harry Kim's lucky he hasn't already been removed. <laughs> yeah. And again, <laughs> this is why he's still at Ensign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and back on the planet. Sorry, I've completely blanked as to what exactly... Chakotay's making headboards. That's right. Yeah, he was making... Like, every, almost every time we cut back to the planet, Chakotay's making something new. So, like, I, I had lost track of what he was making this time around. <laughs> yes, headboards. Janeway's like, oh, that's a cool idea, but... And then 
he stands up and gives her the Riker lean. <laughs> yes, he does. Well, he has his yeah, he's got his leg up and everything. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a patented Starfleet first officer move. Yes, That's just what they do. <laughs> yeah, did uh oh shoot, uh, uh from DS Nine. Well, Kira wasn't Starfleet. Okay, true. okay, it's true, and neither is the Paul. So yeah, we never see Spock do it. No. Well, that was pre-Riker. He's a Vulcan. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. The the moment of truth will be if we see a first officer in the Picard show do it or not. I'm willing to bet that we will. We might even see Riker do the Riker. We movie. might even see Riker do it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you know the Riker's going to be going to be in the Picard show at least a little bit. There's got to No, there's got to be at the very least a Jonathan Frakes cameo. Got to be. Well, no, uh, e- even if it's like only in the very first episode or something. As a way, like like them saying goodbye as Picard goes off and does whatever he's going to do in the Picard show. The only character that I think is more, even more likely than Riker to show up is Crusher. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'd be shocked if Beverly Crusher's not in the pilot. So, J- anyway. J- Janeway goes off to check the bug traps because tension. Mm, and our friend, the some kind of primate, shows up again. To tell us about some kind of plasma storm. He tells us that he's summoning a plasma storm. He's got his hands up in the air. <laughs> he basically looks that, yeah. Like, he just don't care. He summoned the plasma storm. <laughs> it does. So the plasma storm hits. Yes. Well, it was some kind of plasma storm anyway. Yes. <laughs> Chakotay finds her in the woods and then takes her back to the shelter where they're hiding under a table, and Janeway is, like, way more terrified than I feel like Janeway She's would not ever terrified. Be. She's upset that her She's research upset. is being destroyed. Oh, okay. Oh, thank goodness. I was That's really concerned that she had turned into, like, a like a, shri- uh, a shrinking violet in her time on the planet. It's like, no, no, no. Like, this is no, the woman is who, like, not, this is the woman no. who just stared down fear. She doesn't freak out over a thunderstorm. No, it's her. It's the fact that because every time something falls to the floor, that's when she's when she's like, "Oh no, right. no, yeah." Okay, okay. Thank goodness. Thank you for catching that. It's a shame you couldn't have caught the research before it hit the floor, though. <laughs> By the way, in the midst of this, uh, we go. We do cut back to the ship. Kess comes in and talks to Tuvok. Yes, Kess is the one to convince Tuvok that. It might be good for the crew if he at least appeared to be trying to help Janeway. Does the fact that Kess is the one that gets through to him work for you guys? Like, is yeah. that something that, that it works for me? I think it it's, works I think too. Nice. I mean, we needed a Kess scene because we hadn't yeah. had one, <laughs> um, but no, it does work because they have a special relationship. They do. They yep. do. Yeah, and she's also not in his chain of command. Correct. And Kess is also sort of like the unofficial ship's counselor, I feel. And he would not have listened to Neelix. No, no. Kess approaches it in, in kind of the right tone, I think. I think because Tuvok has such a, I guess you'd call it an intimate relationship. I mean, he's mind-melded with her. I mean, mm-hmm. they've, they've been, they, they know each other very well. So Tuvok knows that Kess is not taking this lightly, and Kess presents it in a very serious, logical, you know, thought out way that gets through to Tuvok and I like that I like that it's a character that like Janeway has a legitimate you know deep relationship with Tuvok that is able to do it it's not Harry Cam running around the ship yelling hysterically about this is wrong we gotta do everything we possibly can like that doesn't work but Kess approaching it logically and building off of the relationship that they've built over the last couple of years that turns them around Kess for your tact and logic I award you the simulated rank of lieutenant. Harry, are you paying attention to this? Are you? Are you? <laughs> I'm putting the pips on her now, Harry. Are you watching? So then Tuvok tell, calls the crew, well, some of the crew, together. Yeah. Cass tells us a lot of the crew is on the bridge. There's like a dozen people on the bridge. That's, that's, come on now. It's every extra we've already seen this episode. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, there's a gross of people on the ship, and we only get... A twelfth of that. So the five or six recognizable Starfleet officer extras are a staple in Star Trek. Exactly. Yes. So he lays out that hey, listen, command is hard, and although this is not a democracy, I can't ignore the fact that all of you hate me. <laughs> <laughs> and and 
hate the decisions I've made, which, by the way, the captain you love told me to do. But you know what? Fine. 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 Just for you, I'll violate the orders. And because I'm a nice guy, even though you don't want to see it, I'll take all the blame. Yeah. And we're going to go fly up and hail the aliens that try to kill us every time we come anywhere near them. But but if that's what you... But if that's what you people want, if that's what'll get you people working again, then fine, fine, fine. But he does say they're going to do combat drills, so you know, there's that. Yes, yes. And it, it, I do like that. Yeah, he basically had a plan in place in case things went south. Yeah, which yeah, they inevitably would because it's the Vadians. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he knows what's going to happen. It's not going to go easy. They, they make contact with Pell, who knows exactly what planet they're talking about. And they conveniently already have an antivirus made. So here's some coordinates. Meet us there. It's going to take them 20 hours to get there, even though no one specifies the warp factor involved. I guess they just have like a default cruising speed. Warp 6.3. Yeah, why not? Typical cruising speed. We're back on the planet and dealing with the aftermath of the storm. And Janeway talks about how all her research is ruined as she picks up one of the insect tracks that looks to be in completely undamaged. Well, the insect traps, based on the fact that she like got up to one, just opened the thing up, and then and then like had her specimen jar in another like the way she approached it, made it seem like the insect trap might even like there's some sort of electronics involved because they blink. And ah, okay. it might yeah. put the bug in stasis or knock it out or f- do something. There's there's some sort of gadgetry involved to the box. It's not just a box. Fair enough. Okay. Definitely. All right. Good point. And Chakotay is once again either building or talking about building something. He's going to make log cabin additions. Yes, because he's built many log cabins. He built the log cabin he was born in. I found that interesting. He talked about how he had built... His father had him build many log cabins? Like, how often does the need to build more than one log cabin come up? Maybe it was their, like, their colony's 4-H. Mm. Alright. I'll buy it. I believe that Chakotay is the kind of guy who's gotten good with his hands, you know, crafty. Oh, absolutely. I, I, he, he, that's, a, that's an easy sell for me. That he's got experience doing stuff like this. Yes, and it's also an easy sell that it was at his father's prompting. There is another episode, I can't remember which, where he reveals that he can't light a fire, though. Yeah, basics. <laughs> You're right, yeah, it's next episode. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I guess it'll be in... <laughs> part two. Part yeah. two, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel bad, Chicote. I'm also terrible at lighting fires. I Yeah, I'm bad at it even when I have, like, lighter fluid, so, yeah. Yeah, with, like, with the things like that, it's fine, but when I'm actually backpacking and out in the woods, and I enjoy it, unlike Janeway, bringing it back to the episode... <laughs> Yeah, I'm terrible at lighting fires. That's why I like to hike with other people, because inevitably everyone else is better at it than me. As I said, Janeway hated backpacking, but this yeah. planet is much better than that, which was the first nice thing she had said about it. Yeah, she said they're going to go, so they're going to go on a camping trip after Chicote builds a boat. Well, that was way later in the episode. <laughs> I know. I was just commenting. I can't remember if that was before or after the tomatoes, but it was later. Anyway. It was during the tomatoes, I believe. Oh, I think you're right. So here's where we have some... Uh... Tension about the shoulder tension? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Well, there had been some there had been some tension preamble when they first encountered oh, yeah. the primate and she, mm-hmm. out of the tub and everything. A couple other moments as well, but yeah, this is where it comes to a peak. Both uh, Robert Beltran and Kate Mulgrew have been on record saying that they wish the episode had gone a little farther. Oh. <laughs> in that but it was 90s star trek so it didn't no but we'll have you know dancing girls in some sleazy bar somewhere oh yeah but that's fine <sighs> <laughs> anyway so before we get all the tension worked out though yeah. both literally and metaphorically we get back to voyager and it's being ambushed by the vidians surprise surprise shocker who saw that coming <laughs> tuvok did he sure did <laughs> yes he did and that's why he has his whole plan to do stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. He has a cunning plan. He's like, you know, Balana, listen carefully. Because Pell hails the doctor. I th- How did she hail the doctor? Yeah, they do that, especially Voyager, yet again. Uh, they have these little moments where you hail a computer. Like, you hail a single, like, laptop, uh, whatever they call those things, that sit on people's desks 
in 90s well, Star Trek. from inside Voyager, I can see how you could do that. Sure. How does someone from another ship do that? Isolate a signal <laughs> yeah. specific to one machine sitting on a desk in one office. Because Pell and the Doctor had a special relationship, it's not unbelievable to me that he would have said... Here's my cell phone. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. here's my number, so call me maybe. Nice. <laughs> I buy it. It's All right, really fair enough. Well, she does. Mm-hmm. Tells him she didn't know about the ambush. Everyone else is busy, so she's not going to get in trouble or anything. And oh, by the way, I have the the antidote here. You're going to need to beam it to your ship. You got to put the shields down in the middle of a battle. So that's not going to work. But before we can get too much further on that plot line, we go back to the planet. And now we get the talk. Yeah, we got the tomatoes first. And no, then we the don't. Talk. We don't have the tomatoes first. No? No. This is all taking like th- like this is all basically taking place in real time. Like Chakotay rubs her shoulder, she goes to bed. Yeah, I I scrolled too fast in the But also to like make it more clear yeah, for the good. listeners who haven't watched the episode, <laughs> you know who you are. Chakotay <laughs> rubs her shoulder, she's like, "Okay, this is no, this is getting too real." So she goes to bed, and he just sort of stays up and like looks at her longingly for a minute. We cut to Voyager where they're under attack. And then we cut back to the planet where Janeway's like, "Okay, I can't sleep with all this tension." You know what I mean. And says, <laughs> let's lay out some ground rules. So Chakotay feeds her a fake ancient story from his tribe about himself. I bet he says that to all the girls. Yeah, probably. He did seem very comfortable telling the story, like as if he's told it before and hasn't memorized it. That's what I'm saying. He didn't feel like he was making it up as he was going along. Well, since he was raised like in this tribe where they keep their oral tradition strong, mm-hmm. I actually am willing to buy that he has learned the ability to... Craft these tales. Yeah, to you know, to craft yeah, a parable to convey a lesson or a story basically on the fly. It's actually a great point, and I totally agree. And that's not the only oral tradition he wants to practice on Janeway. <laughs> oh, jeez, <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just too easy. <laughs> However, what I was going to say, which is, like, totally way more tame and not at all the grossness that you got into, is that Chakotay clearly has a bit of a sub-streak. Oh, yeah. Given as how he found peace in ser- in serving a powerful woman and, and meeting all of her needs. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So, meanwhile, back on Voyager. <laughs> yes. This is where we have Tuvok's cunning plan. Yes. They release an antimatter pod. As a mine. Basically, yeah, they beam out the they beam out the antidote. They detonate the pod and they get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah, it's a good plan. It's solid. It is. Except, I'm wondering how much antimatter do we really have left at this point? You know, one day, Commander, they might call this the Tuvok maneuver. One day, yes. <laughs> you know, that's actually a good point because he didn't use all the antimatter like Riker did. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just vent, just vent all the plasma. Just it's fine. Give me my choice to vent the plasma. <laughs> I fit. No, the Tuvok maneuver makes more sense because the Tuvok maneuver can actually be used again, and you don't have to be in the very specific circumstance of being inside a nebula made of this kind of gas. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The record maneuver is definitely very specific. You have to be in the exact right. <laughs> circumstances for it to even be on the table yeah and, yes. and i i feel like they could have done it without it i guess on short notice it needed to be a two-step process but i feel like they could easily have modified torpedoes on board that are designed to do exactly this yeah like just have mines yeah of some kind basic yeah like that seems some to yeah, mines. yeah that makes sense to me in space warfare absolutely it's only logical especially Especially Star Trek Space Warfare, where they still largely stick to a two-dimensional plane. But also, could you imagine Tuvok saying, we're through running from these bastards? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't come immediately to mind as a potential Tuvok line. No. No, it would instead be like, you know, it is illogical to continue to allow these, <laughs> these you know... <laughs> these illegitimate children. <laughs> to pursue us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So they get the antidote, and... Set course for the planet. Now we get the tomatoes. Now we get the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. 
And Janeway is, of course, drinking coffee while she's doing the tomatoes because she's Janeway. And she hates gardening. Basically, she hates anything that isn't a starship, it seems like. Unless it's a bathtub. Specifically, her bathtub on the starship. Right. She does really like that bathtub. She loves that bathtub. But, like, she hates backpacking. She doesn't... She hates cooking, we find out. She hated gardening. Like... But she's excited about Chakotay's boat. Yeah, because he's gonna build it. That's fair. And she probably won't even have to paddle. She'll just, like, sit there with, like, a parasol or something. She's way into the Victorian holo novels. That's a good point. But first, Chakotay, build me a parasol. (laughs) And then the combat just go off. They're back. They have the antidote. The day is saved. But is the day really saved for everyone? Chakotay has not a very happy face. No, Chakotay... I'm convinced that Chakotay was in his happy place. Oh, yeah. was perfectly content to stay there. Uh, and I, I've, I've talked about this before, but, like, one of my favorite things about this episode is it kind of plays into this sort of subtle thread that I think kind of pulls through the entire series of Voyager, which is this Janeway-Chakotay dynamic uh, that I actually really like. Uh-huh. It's this feeling that Chakotay's obviously in love with Janeway to me. Like, um, and is whenever they find themselves in these uh, crossroad situations where do we keep going or do we settle down and make the best of where we are, Chakotay is always on the side of let's settle down um, because I think he's in love with Janeway and is perfectly content to just live out his life with her and yeah. get himself out of this chain of command situation. And on top of that, I think he knows that this ragtag group of Maki crewmen that he's the caretaker for uh, are in the best position that they've been in and going back to the Alpha Quadrant might not even be necessarily a good thing for everybody on that ship that's on the mind. Like, they have no idea what that looks like getting home. Yeah. Uh, or Chakotay may not know what getting home looks like for everybody that he's taken care of yeah. uh, up to this point. Assuming that it doesn't have to become a generational ship in order to get home, hopefully the statute of limitations on the Maquis crimes will have sure. passed by then. For sure. Yeah, hopefully. But I, I think even more so, like, Chakotay knows that the, the these Maki crewmen being with this... He sees the family integrating, I think. Like, the the, 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 the most of the Maki crewmen seem to be ragtag, renegade yeah. types that don't have a whole lot to go back to. And they have this family now that is making these Maki crewmen the best that they can be. Right. They, they've become, like, the best versions of themselves. And I think Chakotay sees that and when these sorts of situations come about, he wants to keep them together or, you know, keep the status quo because the status quo for them is probably the better circumstance than uh, any other Mm -hmm. possible outcome. Yeah. I think that both the Maquis and Starfleet people join them because they want to serve something larger than themselves. It's just that within Starfleet, that larger than yourself spans dozens and dozens of star systems. Whereas the Maquis is like, it spans the dozens and dozens of people immediately around me. Right. But I I also, I, the way I've always sort of read the Maquis, especially by the time we're like into Voyager and the Maquis has become a thing that has kind of become a thing of its own. And it's maybe been, morphed into something that's bigger than just about this territorial dispute with Cardassians, uh, th- that the, this cause has kind of pulled people in that might not have, like, real political mm-hmm. uh, ambitions or, or political convictions about the situation. It's just, it's a good fight. It's somewhere to be. It's, it's you know, it's, 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 it draws people in that need somewhere to go and need a, need a family. It's the, it's, it's the post-scarcity future. We need something to do. Punching Cardassians seems like a good thing to do. Good, yeah, for a lot of people that don't have a future and don't have a, a carved out niche to to, to go to, it, it's as good a, as good a thing as any. And I think Voyager actually does a pretty good job of like selling mm-hmm. that a lot of these Maki crewmen are of that ilk. Like I, I get the impression that a lot of the like I don't think Belana Torres really. Maybe this is a stretch. I don't know, but I don't think Belana Torres is with the Maki just because she feels like this is a political BS situation and the Cardassians are wrong and Starfleet was wrong to do this. I think she went because it's as good a place as any for somebody with her struggles and yeah. you know, her personality type. That's, that's where she needed to be. I, I, don't, I don't think the, the political groundswell that brought the Maquis about is what drew her in. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It, it's a bunch of misfits and they found a place where they did fit and conveniently Voyager also fits. 
Getting lost in the Delta Quadrant was the best thing that ever happened to Chakotay and his crew. Basically, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Chakotay certainly feels that way. I think Chakotay feels that way more than maybe even the Maquis crewmen do. Yeah. As the caretaker for that Maquis crew, as he sees it from that perspective where, you know, crewman Shell might not see it that way, uh, for example, but Chakotay is, you know, on a higher level and can, can see it from... So that altitude. Question for you, Bill. Mm-hmm. Have you read the post Voyager relaunch novels? I can't claim to have. No. I want to. I hear really, really good things. I, I admit that I've read the very beginning of the first relaunch novel, just because out of like just eagerness to know like what happened. Uh, but I, I can't claim to have like stuck with it and really dove into it. Well, only the first half of that novel is actually any good. Um, so well, you're that's okay good to know. <laughs> um, the, the early novels by uh, Christy Golden are okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But later when Kirsten Beyer, uh, who is now writing for Discovery, uh, starts writing them, they get really good. And you uh, there's definitely some Janeway, Chakotay dynamic things that you would enjoy. That's good to know. It's good to know. Does it play into sort of my assumption that you know, Chakotay is certainly very much enamored and Yes. So they do they do in fact get together. Hmm, interesting. And I, it's not even I wouldn't even like categorize myself as a shipper by any means. Like it's not like I'm sitting here rooting man, I wish Janeway Chakotay were, were were an item. I wish that became a thing, but I like the character dynamic. I I, I like them together. I don't know that I'm a shipper of really anything. I mean I don't write Fan fiction. I don't know. That's not a requirement to be a shipper. I understand, but, but, but no. I like Janeway and Chakotay together. I think in a different reality they could have ended up together if they weren't the captain and the first officer. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. I think Chakotay, from his mindset, sees that more than Janeway does. I think Janeway probably feels it too. But just her position, especially in this set of circumstances, just. She knows it's not feasible, and she's not going to allow it. Yeah. Uh, but I like that dynamic. I like Chakotay kind of... And I think Beltran is... He kind of gets a bad rep sometimes. I think he kind of layers that into his performance even throughout the show. Like, when he's with Janeway alone, or just kind of has glances with her. Kind of like... I think Marina Sardis and Jonathan Frakes did a really good job of it in TNG, where they kind of illustrate a lot of that stuff with just like a look. Like a yeah. really brief little moment together, where like Beltran will kind of sell that... Chakotay's not just looking at Janeway like that's my captain. There's there's a deeper oh yeah there uh, definitely feeling is. there that uh, Janeway doesn't always return, but is kind of this unspoken thing that this episode probably comes the the closest to you know yeah oh very much so yeah uh, it and it it becomes more muted as the series progresses too I think absolutely yeah and I think that kind of gets chalked up to having a character like Seven of Nine come aboard and I think Seven of Nine takes a lot of the scenes that you would normally get earlier in the series with Janeway and Chakotay, like in the ready room talking about issues and like the crew dynamics and stuff. Those scenes kind of get sidelined to allow for the Janeway seven mother daughter kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that relationship between Janeway and Chakotay probably suffers as much as anything does uh, for that addition, which is a good thing for the show. I think. So what's your opinion on um, Chakotay seven? I'm not a fan of Chakotay 7. That's, yeah, no. to me, just, that feels desperate to, it's, it's in the same sort of way that Worf Deanna does, you know, like, seven or eight episodes to go, and kind of grasping at straws for introducing something new, with, yes. with, you know, not a lot of time left to go, uh, and it just doesn't feel earned to me, and, I, and it's weird, because I actually kind of do, like, as I've grown older, and I've gone back to the show more and more often, the episode that kind of introduces that idea of human error has kind of grown on me a little bit, so I kind of like that episode. Uh, the way that it, it explores the idea, I guess, but uh, the way it picks up again in Endgame and makes it a reality as opposed to something that Seven's kind of just toying with in her head is is uh, kind of false for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it worked at all. It's been so long since I've done a full rewatch of the show that I'll be effectively discovering it anew once, when we, once we get to it. But to get back to what you were saying about Beltron getting a bad rap, I know that going into this, I had that in my head, and mm-hmm. he definitely doesn't. It took him most of the first season to kind of find his feet and fit and like really like settle into the character. But I, I like especially here in season two, like latter like the like the last third or so of season one and all of season two so far, he's 
he's not a stand-in for like a desk chair anymore. He's no, like he's no. like, he, he's fully integrated. He's uh-huh. a fully formed character. He's critical to the show. And yes. I think that like he gets a bad rap and Kess gets a bad rap and we, and Thad and I have not been shy at all about talking about how much we like Kess on the show hmm. regardless of how anyone may remember her. They need to approach it with like with some fresh eyes, I think, because like, I, I don't know how anyone can can see what Kess brings to the table on the ship and not think that Jennifer Lean played the role great and that Kess is a solid character that deserves to be there. Early Neelix, on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> see, I've always, I've always had mixed feelings on Kess. Uh, there are moments that I really like her, uh, and I've I've. I've grown to like her more over time, just like I've grown to Neil- I've grown to like Neelix more over time as well. Uh, but I'll, the next time I hit Voyager, I'll definitely try to do that. I'll try to give Kess like a new, fresh look and really pay attention to Jennifer Lean's performance because there are times I really like Jennifer Lean a lot, uh, particularly later in the show, like towards the end of that run. Uh, I think she's got some nice moments in episodes like before and after. I think she's good in Scorpion. For example, uh, but she's 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 good all the way through it. I think when I think of Kess, I think some of the. Uh, uh, to, to be fair, I can't remember how you guys felt about it, but in episodes like Twisted and Parturition, like the love triangle with Neelix and oh, it's terrible. Harris, like that storyline, yeah, that I struggle with mightily, and yeah. I think maybe sometimes I unfairly tag that like that equals Kess when that's probably not a fair. Um, just like it doesn't equal Neelix and it doesn't equal Tom Paris, there's far more to the characters than just that one single arc. But for some reason in my mind, when I think of Kess, it's the first thing that comes up. Man, early Tom Paris was, by a, by a huge margin, my least favorite character. Mm. Just approaching women at warp speed. <laughs> yeah, I forget, are you are you still in uh, TOS in your uh, epic rewatch, Bill? I am, yes. Okay. Season three, yeah. So it'll be a while before I hit Voyager again, but it will happen. Well, I'm sure that we could go for like a whole other hour just talking about character growth and how people might think a character is based on their watching of the show when it first aired or whatever and and sure. how it actually and how you can view them differently 20 years later. But we should uh probably start wrapping this up. So, uh what and get down to basics? To defeat the Huns. Yes. Uh <laughs> next week on the episode we're going to talk about. Uh, but at the very least, uh, what did you guys at least like, how would you rate the episode? Like what, like, you know, like it, hate it, favorite of all time. I, I, I really like it. I, not my favorite, but I did really like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I wouldn't call it a favorite, uh, like an all time favorite. I wouldn't have it in my top 25 Voyager episodes by any means, but I, I do like it a lot because like I said, I, some of my favorite stuff in Voyager is this, Will they, won't they, can they, can't they dynamic between Janeway and Chakotay, and I appreciate that it explores that idea and actually gives it some life the same way like Attached did for the card crusher <laughs> thing. Uh, I, I I would say I like it. It's not perfect. I think a lot of the stuff on Voyager uh, struggles a little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the stuff on the planet between Janeway and Chakotay largely works for me, and I enjoy going back to it, so... Something that we've talked about a few times is that we would love to see 21st century prestige television Voyager. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, and and that, like, I enjoyed the episode, and yes, doing, like, doing it from a 21st century perspective of having it be more serialized, this especially would benefit from a two-parter. There's plenty of episodes that you can do, like you can do as a one shot, and that's fine. And there's no need to turn it into like a full season arc with only like three one shots interspersed throughout or anything. But more akin to say like the final season of Enterprise, where it was basically like all three parters all the time. I could get behind mm-hmm. that for like a for a 21st century Voyager. I think there's lots of stories they could be telling. And certainly, like with more depth, obviously, if they could spend more than forty-two minutes on them at a time. Yeah, modern TV is in Voyager's DNA. Like of all the of mm-hmm. all the shows, Voyager is the show that would benefit most conceptually. Like its 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 premise would benefit most from the the treatment that Discovery is kind of getting right now. Like that yeah. sort of storytelling would do Voyager a world of good. And, and yes. I love Voyager. I I. I I love it more every time I go back and watch it again. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a unadulterated 
unapologetic Voyager fan. Uh, but there are so many, there's so much meat left on the bone just by the, the limitations that that show had to deal with by being on a network at that time mm-hmm. that could have been explored and really emphasized it with modern television storytelling. And that pretty much wraps up this episode. As we already called out, next week we'll be talking about basics. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find a review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter. I'm at Gamicus. You can find me at TrekFan4387, and you can find me on Trek Live most weekends uh, on YouTube. And now on iTunes. Oh, you're on iTunes now. Nice. Brand new. Yeah, as of a couple weeks ago. So, nice. yeah, you can get a, an audio podcast version of our live stream conversations. And you can follow our show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah.